0: if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Psalm 26. Psalm 26 is where we are headed together today as we continue our way through the Psalms this summer. Uh, this, this past week has been a pretty fun week for me. I was uh, sharing with some of you during the Bible class time. Uh, I've spent this past week in Chelan. Uh, Caitlin and I have been there with a number of her college friends and all of their children. There's like six children, all five and under, uh, and so it's been wild and exhausting and thrilling. Uh, one of them, the five-year-old, uh, his name is Owen. Um, he's a really sweet little kid, and I was I was there yesterday morning, and I was leaving to come back here uh, to be here today, uh, and you know I was saying goodbye, and his mom says, "Oh, you know." Uh, Drew has to go back, you know. Uh, pastor Allen from church, when he gets up and teaches everyone, well, Drew has to go and and do that for for his church. Um, and and so I went, and he came in to give me a hug and say goodbye. I said to him, "Hey, have so much fun today, and I'll see you again." Uh, and he looks looks up at me, and, and in his little five year old voice, he said, "Have fun being a pastor." And so here here I am, hopefully. Um, having some fun together today. Uh, And so it's good to be together. Uh, So Psalm 26 is where we are headed today. I'm just going to begin by reading it, uh, and then we'll, we'll dive into reflecting on it together. So Psalm 26, beginning in verse 1. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and mind, for your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in faithfulness to you. I do not sit with the worthless, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the company of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked." I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord, singing aloud a song of thanksgiving and telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the house in which you dwell and the place where your glory abides. Do not sweep me away with sinners, nor my life with the bloodthirsty." those in whose hands are evil devices and whose right hands are full of bribes. As for me, I walk in my integrity. Redeem me. Be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground. And the great congregation, I will bless the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your psalms, for these prayers that you have placed in your word for us to pray. Lord, I pray that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts as we reflect on this together today, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, as we've been reflecting on the Psalms together, uh, we've been considering how how the Psalms are tools that train us in prayer. They're tools that train us in prayer. The Psalms are like a word bank for the soul, right? 150 things you can say to God. The Psalms give us those things to say. But, But every now and then, we come across a Psalm that may feel a bit out of place to pray, that may feel a little uncomfortable or strange for us to pray. After all, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he told them a story about two different people and two different prayers. One of them was a devout religious Pharisee who stood before God and said, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all that I get. And that was his prayer. The other one was that despised tax collector, who Jesus said, bowed low and cried out, God, God. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus concluded this teaching by saying about the tax collector, I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all those who humble themselves will be exalted." So Jesus teaches us that prayer is a place for humble confession rather than proud boasting. And so I wonder what Jesus would say about Psalm 26. Because Psalm 26 feels a lot more like the prayer of the Pharisee than that of the tax collector. In Psalm 26 that we've just read, we hear someone declaring their own righteousness. I've walked in my integrity. Some translations even say, I have lived blamelessly. And then saying, you know, all the things that they don't do, and, you know, I don't do those things with those people. Uh, but instead, I do the right things with the right people, right? And that's what Psalm 26 declares. So is Psalm 26 just an arrogant prayer that we as followers of Jesus should skip over, just keep moving? Or does Psalm 26 have something to teach us about praying and about living with God? Before we judge the Psalm too quickly, let's take some time today to look a bit more closely at it, to consider its context. And so uh, what I want to do today is is I want to look at its original context and then then connect it in the context of Jesus. And then finally, see how it might speak to us today. So Psalm 26. Uh, Some people have categorized this psalm as an entrance song, to be sung while approaching and entering the temple, right? Verses six to eight refer to going around the altar, singing songs of thanksgiving, loving the house in which God dwells. That final verse concludes with, the, with blessing God in the great congregation, right? So perhaps this is a song about going to the temple to worship God, and that's possible, but I I think if that's the main point of this psalm, then it really is the same as the Pharisees' prayer. It is more or less a proud, boastful prayer that pats oneself on the back. Look at how great I am as I come to worship. I'm awesome. And if that is the main point of the psalm, then we probably should just skip it and move on. Because a prayer like this will only serve to make us proud. A prayer like that would only serve to make us arrogant, to make us a people who judge others. This does not form us in the way of Christ. But I don't think that's the main point of this psalm. This psalm is not a proud boast amidst religious activity. But rather, I think this psalm is a cry for justice in the midst of injustice. That is, after all, the very first word of the psalm. Most translations translate it, Vindicate me, O Lord. That's a word that we use all the time, right? Vindicate me. Well, what does this mean? Better translated, uh, this could just say, Grant me justice, O God. Or perhaps more simply and literally, Judge me, O God. God, be my judge. This prayer is not an arrogant boast pronouncing judgment on others. Rather, it's a prayer for God to be judge. For God to see that justice is rightly done. This is not the proud prayer of a Pharisee, but rather a desperate prayer from the persecuted. It is a cry for justice amidst injustice. It is a call for truth among false accusations. So it says it's a psalm of David in the heading. Uh, Where might this prayer have come from in David's life? Are there circumstances from David's life that this psalm might speak to? Uh, There are plenty of moments in David's life where he is rightly accused, right? Uh, Most famously, after abusing Bathsheba, having her husband killed, the prophet Nathan comes in to David, accuses him, and calls him to repent. And David responded to that accusation by writing Psalm 51, one that many of us are familiar with, a prayer of confession and repentance. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Right? He was rightly accused, and he responded with confession and repentance. That's what Psalm 51 is. It's a prayer after being rightly accused. But there are other moments in David's life where he is falsely accused where he's wrongly accused. When David was young, King Saul was jealous of him and sought to discredit him, tried to have him killed, right? There's story after story of Saul going after David and David on the run. Later on in David's life, his own son rebelled against him, uh, overtook the throne, and sought to discredit his father, David. And so in each of these situations, David was falsely accused by those around him, by those in power. And Psalm 26 may very well be a prayer that arose from one of these moments in David's life. It is a prayer in response to being falsely accused. So in the midst of false accusations, if this is the context of this psalm, what does it ask for? What does Psalm 26 say? Well, as a prayer for justice, we can imagine the psalmist in a courtroom where there is one false accusation lodged against him after another, and, and uh, the, this corrupt judge sitting before him seeking to discredit him. And so in the midst of those false accusations and that corrupt judge, Psalm 26 opens by appealing to a higher court. The righteous judge, right? He begins, may God be my judge. Not these false judges who seek to destroy me, but God, the righteous judge, who is full of steadfast love. In the midst of false accusations and corrupt judgment, The psalmist throws himself before God and says, Judge me, O Lord, for I've walked in my integrity. I've trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord. Try me. Test my heart and mind, for your steadfast love is always before my eyes. I walk in faithfulness to you. You see, as as a boast amidst worship, Psalm 26 would be prideful at best, hypocritical at worst. But as a cry in the midst of injustice and false accusations, it is actually a very humble and honest prayer that displays a deep trust in God is the only one who can rightly and truly judge. With these opening words, Vindicate me, O Lord. Judge me, O Lord. The psalmist declares, God is a righteous judge. God is a righteous judge. And he invites God to try him and to test him And then the rest of the psalm functions more or less as a defense against all of these false accusations that are being thrown at him. We can hear echoes in the rest of the psalm from the blessed one who is described in Psalm 1. If you remember this, Psalm 1, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. That's what it is to be a blessed one. Well, Psalm 26 goes on to say, I walk in faithfulness to you. I do not sit with the worthless, nor do I consort with the hypocrites. I hate the company of evildoers. I will not sit with the wicked. And then in that final verse of Psalm 26, he goes on to say, my foot stands on level ground. You can see this walk, stand, and sit language come back. In Psalm 26, the psalmist defends himself using this language of blessing from Psalm 1. I do not walk, sit, or stand with the wicked. Rather, I walk in integrity and faithfulness. I go around the altar of the Lord. I stand in the great congregation. This is who I am. And he's defending himself before false accusations. The psalmist defends his character as one of integrity. And he throws himself before the righteous judge. Submits himself to God's judgment. Not the false judgment of everyone around him. Verses 9 through 10 are then an, another plea As the psalmist says, Do not sweep me away with sinners, nor my life with the bloodthirsty, those in whose hands are evil devices, whose right hands are full of bribes. The psalmist declares those around him to be corrupt judges. Judges corrupted by bribery, filled with evil. And he asks God, don't sweep me away with all of them. And then there's a slight shift. After this call for justice and the words of defense, the psalmist adds a plea for mercy. He says, Redeem me. Be gracious to me. You see, the psalmist has appealed to his own character, but, but he is even more confident of God's character. Right? God is the one who redeems. God is the one who is gracious. The psalmist believes himself to have integrity, but he believes that God has grace. And so the psalm ends with the psalmist standing before God, among the people of God, blessing God for who God is. I think this is the original context of the psalm. It gives us a little bit more depth and understanding than our first reading of it. Not merely a a prideful boast, but a cry for justice amidst injustice, for truth amidst false accusations, for integrity amidst hypocrisy. And so, as we trace this psalm from its original context down to the life of Jesus, how would the psalm connect to Jesus? I mean, perhaps most obviously, Jesus is the only one who can truly pray this song, right? right, Jesus is the only one who can honestly say, I have walked in integrity. Jesus is the only one who can say, I have been blameless. Jesus is the only one who can say, truly, I've trusted in the Lord without wavering. David wavered, right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob wavered. The prophets wavered. The disciples wavered all over the place. We all know that we have wavered as well. Jesus is the only one who can truly pray this prayer with integrity. What are the defenses in verses 5 or verses 4 and 5 right i do not sit with the worthless nor do i consort with hypocrites i hate the company of evil doers i will not sit with the wicked could jesus have prayed these words i mean after all jesus did sit at the table with tax collectors sinners hypocritical pharisees But even though he did sit with them, he did not become like them. Rather, uh, it actually worked the other way around. As he spent more and more time with them, they became more and more like him. This is the way of the kingdom. And then there's verse 8. O Lord, I love the house in which you dwell, the place where your glory abides. Well, we know that Jesus loved the house of God. As a boy, his parents lost track of him only to find him in the temple, talking with others there about the things of God. Later on, as an adult, he returns to the temple, where he overturns the tables of injustice. He cleanses the temple of its corruption, he loves this place. But even with Jesus' love of the temple, we know that this goes deeper in the person of Jesus. The Gospel of John will go on to describe Jesus himself as the place where God's glory dwells. John chapter 1, the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Right? Jesus himself is the temple of God. He is the place where the glory of God dwells. As he walks around on earth, so does the glory and presence of God in its fullness. But despite this glory that Jesus carried around in himself, he like the psalmist, was falsely accused. He was ambushed, arrested, brought before corrupt judges with false witnesses, and ultimately sentenced to crucifixion. Just imagine Jesus praying this psalm from the cross. Vindicate me, O Lord. Grant me justice, O God. The psalmist prays, Do not sweep me away with sinners, nor my life with the bloodthirsty. But Jesus was swept away with sinners. His blood was spilled by the bloodthirsty. thirsty. But the psalm doesn't end there. And neither does the life of Jesus. The psalmist threw himself before the justice of God and prayed, Redeem me, O Lord. In the midst of that injustice of the cross, Jesus threw himself before the justice of God, and he was redeemed. On the third day the justice of God prevailed over death itself and the resurrected Jesus with the psalmist can declare verse 12 my foot stands on level ground and the great congregation I will bless the lord Jesus trusted his father amidst false accusations injustice and death And he was delivered because he trusted God his Father. That's the heart of this psalm. Trusting God no matter what. Throwing ourselves before the justice of God despite the injustice around us. Far from a self-righteous boast, this psalm points us to the justice of God and to the good news of the gospel. The good news that injustice will not prevail in the end. Death itself will one day come to an end. All those who are in Christ will stand on level ground, blessing the Lord. That's what the psalm declares in the light of Jesus. So as we come to a close, how does this psalm call us to live? What does the psalm say to us today? Are there ways that Psalm 26 can be an appropriate tool for our training and prayer and our life with God? As we've already said, if the words of this psalm are just a self-righteous boast like the Pharisee then let's leave it behind. But I think there are a couple of specific ways that the psalm can speak to us today. A couple of ways that the psalm calls us to live. The first one is that these words can be a help to us whenever we find ourselves in situations just like the psalmist. Because we, just like David, will encounter moments of accusation. We will find ourselves under accusation, sometimes rightly and sometimes wrongly. But when accusations come our way, we should not cower before them, but like the psalm, we should throw ourselves before God, crying, praying, judge me, O Lord. May God be my judge. Try me. Test my heart and mind. Redeem me. and Be gracious to me. Sometimes, as we pray that prayer, we might find that the accusation is true. And we need to repent. We need to turn to God and to his grace. But other times, we'll find that those accusations are false. They're untrue. Jesus himself said to his disciples, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Because of me. See, as followers of Jesus, we will face false accusations, just like he did. Sometimes those accusations will come from enemies all around us. Other times, they might come from the enemy within us. Revelation 12 calls the devil the accuser of our brothers and sisters, the one who accuses them day and night. Do you ever hear that inner voice of accusation? Do you ever hear that voice that tries to convince you that you're not loved? That voice that tells you that God's promises aren't true, or at least they're not for you. That voice that reminds you of every wrong thing you've ever done and tries to tell you that's all that you are. That voice that says, you're not worthy of God's grace. Here's the thing. That's the whole point. We're not worthy of God's grace. And yet, he loves us nonetheless. He loves us anyway. He saves us anyway. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Don't let those accusations distract you from the love of God. Whenever you face that voice of accusation, whether around you or within you, remember Psalm 26, verse 3 Your steadfast love is before my eyes. In Christ, there is no condemnation. Nothing can separate us from his love. Your steadfast love is before my eyes. Remember God's love and turn to him in the midst of accusation. Psalm 26 calls us to turn to God when we face accusations, to let God be our judge Calling us to repentance when we are wrong and assuring us of his love no matter what. There's another way that Psalm 26 calls us to live, and that is it calls us to live with integrity. At the beginning and the end of the Psalm, the psalmist says, I have walked in my integrity. And it calls us into this. Look, none of us can claim to be without sin. None of us can claim to have trusted in the Lord without wavering, right? We've already reflected on this. We are all in need of forgiveness and mercy. But as followers of Jesus, we are not only forgiven, we are transformed. We not only have buried the old self, but we have been raised to a new self. We're not only forgiven, we are transformed. The gospel actually calls us to live differently to live in new ways. Although we are not perfect, Psalm 26 calls us to pray with integrity, to live with integrity, to be a people who do not only ask for grace, but live by grace. It can be arrogant and hypocritical to claim I have walked in my integrity. But it is not wrong to desire and grow in this. It's not wrong to say, God, help me walk in integrity. May this be true of me. First Peter chapter 2 says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Right? Accusations are thrown at us one way and another, but, but may we be a people who can say, but I have lived with integrity. Let us live such good lives that they point others to God. We are actually a people who are called to live differently. When we're accused of wrong, we should not pridefully, but honestly, by the grace of God, be able to say, I don't do these evil things. Instead, I I love God and follow Christ. That is actually the place that we should be growing toward. Too often we're told, well, we're just sinners and that's it. But the gospel calls us to be transformed. We are sinners, but that's not it. There's more. We're called to be transformed. Psalm 26 calls us into this transformation, to be a people transformed by Jesus, to live lives of integrity, so that when the people around us look at us, they'll see Jesus the body of Christ at work in the world. So here's what we are called to. As we respond to Psalm 26, may we throw ourselves before the righteous judge who gave himself for us. And may we receive the grace of Jesus so that we might become more like him every day. Amen.